key verse, and that thought's going to run through today, uh, Matthew 12, 30. If you're not for Jesus, you're against him. If you're not gathering with him, you're scattering. Jesus draws a very clear line in the saying and says, you've got to make a decision, and that decision has eternal consequences. And one of the ways you'll know kind of where you stand is what you say about your, your words. Jesus says your words reveal your heart. What's in your heart comes out through what you say. And, and so the Pharisees respond to Jesus' response by saying, well, just prove it then. If what we say about you is so important, if everything hinges on our understanding of your identity, then why don't you do something to prove who you are? And that's where we're picking up in verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. So Pharisees say, again, well, then just prove it. Show us a sign. Again, kind of interesting. He just healed a guy who was blind and mute, who can now see and talk. I'm not sure exactly what they're wanting him to do that he hasn't already done. He's healed paralyzed people. He's healed dozens and dozens and dozens of people in public. They've seen all of it, and yet they're asking for more. Again, not exactly what they want, what do they want him to do that he hasn't already done. And Jesus' response is no. You're, I've already shown you everything you're going to see. There's only one sign left, and it's this sign of Jonah, which is Jesus' death, which actually will just confirm for the Pharisees that Jesus is not who he says he is. His death will just further confirm to them that he's not the Messiah because God would never let the Messiah died. And then Jesus cites these two Old Testament examples. Y'all may remember the story of Jonah. Jonah's a prophet. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is this wicked city, and I want you to preach that they'll repent because if they don't, I'm going to wipe them out. Jonah actually wants them wiped out, so he doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he doesn't want them to repent. So he gets on a boat. He sails out into the sea. The waters get really rough. The sailors flip out, and they say, what's happening? And Jonah says, it's me. I'm running away from God, and the only way you can fix it is to throw me into the sea. And they say, well, okay then, and they throw him into the sea. And then the Bible says God prepared a large fish for Jonah. And so Jonah gets swallowed by something, and he lives in that something for three days, and then he repents. What else would you do if you're living in the belly of a fish? So he repents at the bottom of this, in this fish, then the fish vomits him out, which would be pleasant, and he winds up in Nineveh. And he preaches, and they do actually repent. Some of you are getting hung up on Jonah. Um, you believe God can raise a man from the dead, then it's not that hard to believe God can keep a guy alive in the belly of something, uh, some type of a whale. Actually, the running theory now is that Jonah was in the belly of a great white shark. So um, I guess this was pre-clamping of the jaws. Maybe he must have just swallowed him whole, I guess, and he lived in there for three days. They have a slow metabolism, so he wouldn't have been digested all that kinds of stuff. So, you can, y'all can research that on your own. What I would say, if you're curious, is it's interesting to me that Jesus picks what I think is the most far-fetched Old Testament story and says, that's the one I'm going to use. Which, to me, is him just validating what happened. Like, he's the smartest guy who ever lived, and he says, I'm going to use Jonah as my example. Like, out of everything, that's the one he's going to pick. The one that, for us, as modern people, we're going, oh, just skip, skip. 
Skip. Let's, you know, and that's the one that he picks out, which again, I think to me, it's just, it, that's how God works. I think it, he is validating the historical truth of Jonah. Again, you can research that. That's a rabbit trail. So back to what we're talking about. Then the queen of the south, this woman, she's the queen of Sheba, a Yemen, modern-day Yemen. She comes to Solomon. He's the wisest man who ever lives. And the Bible says she comes to test him. She wants to know if he's really all that she's heard him to be. And she asks him all these riddles, and he answers every one of them. And she says at the end in uh, 1 Kings 10, 9, she says, you're everything I thought you would be. And blessed are these people because God has given you this wisdom and because you are ruling them. So in both cases, what Jesus is saying is Gentiles, pagans, people who are far away from God, they heard a message from God and they responded. You Pharisees, the religious of the religious, the righteous of the righteous, who've memorized the entire Old Testament, I'm standing right here in front of you and you're rejecting, you literally are rejecting the embodied message of God. You've seen me do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. You've heard sermon after sermon after sermon. You still think I'm being inspired by the devil. How, what is going, he doesn't get it. Their hearts are so hard. No more signs for them. It doesn't help. It's just heaping coals on their head. The only other sign they're going to see is his death. And again, all that's going to do is confirm their erroneous assumptions about who Jesus is. That's what happens when your heart gets hard. That's why the past couple of weeks I've been saying it's so important for us to maintain hearts that are soft and open before God. Because once your heart gets hard, then it just kind of, it's this cycle. Everything that God does just continues to, to, to harden it even more. I mentioned the story last week of my friend when we were in college and we prayed a very specific prayer and got a, a very specific answer within a week. And his response is, it's just a coincidence. That's a hard heart. He can't see the activity of God literally right in front. He's living in the house that God gave him, and he can't see it. That's why it's so important for us to maintain a soft heart before the Lord, because once you start moving in that direction of hardening your heart towards God, it can be difficult to pull back up. And the things that God does in your life, oftentimes, again, we can, we can come up with alternate explanations for any number of things. We can read circumstances in numerous ways. And just becomes this kind of uh, self-fulfilling prophecy in our hearts. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, he seems to shift directions. It goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. They go in and live there, and the final condition of the man is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. So he uses this guy who he's just healed as a case study. What he says to the Pharisees is, y'all are not responding to the message of God. You're a wicked, adulterous generation. You're missing it completely. Like, let's take this guy for an example, this guy who I just healed. It's not enough that he just was healed. It's not enough that he just had this powerful encounter with God. There's got to be something that follows it. It's not enough just to be uh, freed or delivered from the influence of evil. If he's, not, if, if, if he's not then occupied, if nothing fills in that space, if he doesn't come under the influence of God, if he doesn't begin to do something with Jesus who's just healed him, then he's going to wind up in a worse situation in the future than he was in in the past. You've got to do something with this encounter. Some of you during worship, you might have had warm and fuzzy feelings, and that's wonderful. And then God says, well, what are you going to do about that? Even an encounter with God is not sufficient in and of itself. There always has to be a response from us. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. 
Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He said, who, are, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And then he goes on to say, and even my family, my blood family, that's not enough. They have to respond to me as well. It's not enough, Pharisees, that you know everything. You have to do something with this information you've been given. It's not enough man to be touched by God. You have to do something with Jesus as a person. Even those who are connected to me by blood, that's not enough. Who is my family? The people who do the will of my Father. The, again, what Jesus is, he's pointing back to the same thing over and over again. Who do you say that I, are you with me? Or are you against me? Are you gathering or are you scattering? He gives us space during our life to figure that out, to work that out. But ultimately, Bob Dylan says what? You've got to serve somebody. It doesn't matter who you are. It's going to be the Lord or it's going to be the devil. He was right about that. Ultimately, there are only two teams. That's harsh for some of us to hear. But ultimately, there are only two teams out there. And we're all going to be on one or the other. And the choice is up to us. And Jesus is trying to get these guys to recognize what team they're playing for at the moment so that they can repent and get where they think they are. It's interesting to me if you think about one of the greatest, I would call it, heresies of our day. Jesus says he's the only way to heaven. It's a narrow way to get to heaven. And it's a broad road that leads to destruction. That sounds very exclusive to us. But there's a narrow way to heaven because there's only one person who's taking care of the problem. The reason that there's only one way to heaven is because there's only one who could reconcile us to the Father. We've broken relationship with God and there's only one mediator. There's only one man. Jesus, who can relate adequately to both sides, God and man. He's it. Nobody else can. There's only one who says, I'll, I'll pay the penalty. I'll pay the debt that you owe in order to reconcile this relationship. That's why the way is narrow. The door is open to anyone who wants to walk through, but there's only one door. It's like griping because there's only one front door in somebody's house. They don't have multiple. There's, it's open. It's walk in. It's open for anyone. And in our world, we totally flip that on its head. We've said there's one way to hell and there's a thousand ways to heaven. We've taken the narrow road that leads to life and the broad road that leads to destruction and we've completely flipped it. The only people who go to hell now are Hitler and Stalin. Nobody else is in there. You have to... It's true. I'm not wanting anybody. But what the Bible says is there's one... that It's a narrow road that leads to life. And we've said it's a narrow road that leads to death. There's a broad road that leads to destruction. And what we've said is there's a broad road that leads to life. Good people, it's fine. No, it's not. The issue is not good or bad. It's life or death. Relationship or not. That's the question that's in front of all of us. And that's what Jesus is trying to get these guys to see. It's not works-based righteousness, whoever does the will of my Father. Belief in the, You can have behavior without believing. The Pharisees had that. They had right behavior. No, they weren't believing. Biblically, you can't believe without, follow, without behavior following. Belief always produces fruit because belief is trust. If you're trusting Jesus, there will be fruit that comes from that belief. So we can say whoever does the will of my Father because if you're doing the will of the Father, it's because you're connected to the Son. There's, that's, it's going to follow from the other. One's going to follow from the other. So anyway, it's not, it's not this workspace thing. What he's trying to get them to see is Y'all are on the wrong side of this equation. And I'm trying to get you to recognize that and to repent so you can get on the right side. Three questions for you. They're all open-ended. One, 
what, is it, what would it take for you? What would God have to do to convince you that Jesus is who he says he is? If this morning you would say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not there. I don't, Jesus is a great guy. Okay. Son of God, not so sure. Personal Savior, no way. Lord, not doing that. So if you're not walking with Jesus this morning because you have intellectual or experiential or relational objections to either Jesus or the gospel, my question is, what would God have to do to convince you? And I'm going to put a time limit on it in the next two weeks before Easter. We'll just use that as our placeholder. Between March 17th and March 31st, what would God have to do for you to say, you know what? He is who he said he was, and I'll follow him. You need skywriting. You need your grass to turn purple. Like, what needs to happen for you? And, and name it. Don't be silly. Say it in your heart. God, this is what I need to see. Now, don't ask if you're not willing to read the signs. Don't ask for a sign if you're not going to follow it where it points. Because that 100% is heaping coals on your head. God doesn't play. That's why, that's why the Pharisees don't get another sign, because they weren't interested in following the ones they'd already seen. They'd ignored every single one God had given them. He's not giving them another one. And so, but if there's an openness in your heart, God, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the King of kings, if he's the Lord of lords, if he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, if he is the shepherd, should be the shepherd of my life, this is what, I need you to, I need to see it. This is where I'm getting hung up. It's what we talked about last week. This is my stumbling block, and I need you to make it a stepping stone for me. If you can have that level of openness in your heart, then ask. I think he's okay with that. Ask, but you've got to be willing to follow the signs where they point. If you're not on the front end, you're not, don't even, don't start. Jesus says to a guy in Luke 16, 31, he says, if y'all don't believe the Old Testament, you wouldn't believe if uh, someone was raised from the dead. And told you the truth. So there's this part again of, of, a hard, of a hard heart. Pharaoh couldn't see any of the miracles. They were destructive. We call them plagues. He couldn't see any of those things. As coming from God. Because his heart was hard. The Pharisees couldn't see any of the things that Jesus was doing. As coming from God. Because his heart was hard. So if your heart's hard. It's not going to work. But if you can with some sense of openness. Say God. This is what I, I'm willing. I'm willing to say yes. I'm willing to follow. If you will. Then you can fill in the blank. And just and see where that goes. Second question. For those of you who are following Jesus, it's similar. What is he asking you to respond to? Again, this idea that God doesn't just tell us stuff so we can put it up on the mantle and look at it and say, oh, isn't this pretty? Or so we can fill out the Bible competency exam. He wants us to actually incorporate truth into our life. What's the new revelation that he's given you? What's some new truth? What's some new information? Bible study, as you're reading, what is God speaking to you? Anything new? What's he asking you to do with that? What's he asking you to respond to now? We've said before, faith is the gap between where I am and where God wants me to be. This gap right here, that's where faith or trust becomes necessary. Now, there are times for all of us where we, where we rest. And what God wants of us and where we are, they line up perfectly. And that's rest and that's good and we all need that. Some of y'all have been resting for like seven years. Not that long. There need, to be, there need to be spaces where you feel the stretch and you kind of get a little nervous and you think, I'm not certain about this. I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. I don't know that I've got the goods in order to walk this thing. Like, you need those things. That's where God's asking us to trust him. And sometimes they're like this and sometimes they're like this and they always feel like this. Those are the faith gaps. What is he asking you to respond to this morning? 
Is there anything he's been showing you in the Bible that you need to begin to incorporate into your life? Most likely, he's not going to show you anything new until you do something with the old thing. It's kind of how he works. Let's get this incorporated into your life, and then we'll talk about what's next. And for some of us, the way we are, we read something or we hear something, we say, oh, that's good. But then we never go beyond, oh, that's good, to what does it look like for me to incorporate that thing that's good into the way I'm actually living my life. Looking at this from another way, third question. Is there ground that you're seeding this morning? Is there ground that you've given up this morning? I'm thinking of that guy who Jesus healed. He says, it's great that things have been swept clean, but it can't just remain unoccupied. Or the devil's going to come back and it's going to be worse than it was in the past. And so for us, sometimes I think we can fall back either from apathy or circumstances or something happens and we kind of we give up ground so if you find yourself this morning saying I'm struggling more with my temper now than I used to I'm struggling more with lust or I'm struggling more with forgiveness or this is this relationship is harder for me now than it used to be this idea that maybe you've taken some steps backwards if you're a Baptist you call that backsliding we don't call that that here but that's fine if you want the label what is it is there an area where you're giving ground back this morning, then let today, March 17th, let that be as far as you're going to fall. Put a stake in the ground and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. There are things that are yours as sons and daughters that Jesus, it's part of his, it's part of your inheritance as being a co-heir with Christ. And a lot of times for us, we wind up leaving that stuff on the table again out of apathy or circumstances or for whatever reason. Some of it's ignorance, we just don't know. Paul says, I think in Philippians 3, 16 or 19, he says, live up to what you've already attained. And for some of us, we kind of live up to, and then we fall back from, and then we live up to, and then we fall back from. Are there mental patterns, thought patterns for you where you've given some ground up? You used to never be a fearful person, and now you are. You used to not get anxious, and now you do. You've given some ground up. Are there behavior patterns for you? You used to never struggle with. And now you do. It's been a really long time, and now it's eating your lunch again. It's giving ground up. And again, my encouragement to you, if that's the case, is to put your, really to put your foot down in faith this morning and say, I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to continue to give ground back. Second Peter 2.22 is kind of a nasty verse. It says, dogs return to their own vomit, and sows return to roll in the mud, is basically what it says. And sometimes that's us. We've, God frees us from something. We get victory and we're fruitful in some area. And then it, over time, we kind of drift back into those bad patterns and those bad uh, behaviors. And if that's where you'd find yourself this morning, again, my encouragement to you is to say, that's as far as I'm going. And I'm going to begin to move ahead. Let's pray. I want you just thinking about those three things, kind of listening to the Lord. God, if there are any here today who are far from you, my prayer is that in the next couple of minutes, they would they just say, God, this is what I need to see. And it would be genuine and honest, not, you know, I need you to write my name in the stars, and not, but just legit. What are the stumbling blocks? God, this is what I need from you. And God, that's a big gamble, but we're just trusting. You love them enough 
to send your son to die for them, that you love them enough to communicate in a way that they'll understand. So that's what we're asking this morning. God, is for any who are far from you again, that they would say, this is, what it, this is what I need to see. This is what I need to hear. And I'll follow. And God, my prayers over the next couple of weeks, you would answer those prayers in a way that each of those people praying it would understand. And that they would begin to follow. God, I pray for those of us who are following. But maybe we're not, we're not trusting. God, if there's something that we need to be acting on, if there's something that you're asking us to respond to, I pray that you would put that in our, remind us of that, even now. popped into your mind, you want to grab onto that. And God, if there's ground that we've given up, if there's things that you've won for us, God, that we've forfeited, either from apathy or rebellion or just gotten busy, God, we want to take that back. So show us those areas, I pray. our part you know we obviously want to respond to you in faith and in trust but we recognize that all this is work that you have to do and so we invite your spirit to come and to minister into our hearts and our minds even our wills give us grace to choose some of us what we've given back is self-control that's one of the areas where we've given back god we pray that you would strengthen our wills to make um, righteous choices god that we would not find ourselves striving in these areas we would find ourselves empowered by your spirit every day to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with uh, a little bit of worship. We'll have ministry teams up in the front. If something popped into your head uh, when we were praying, I'd encourage you to um, act on that. Uh, please give us the opportunity to pray uh, with you. That can help solidify things. They can Stuff can kind of stay in your head, and then you're going to start talking, and then you're going to go eat, and then you're going to forget. So uh, just come forward and let us pray for you. Again, just kind of solidify whatever it is that God stirred in you. And then Bo will dismiss us when we're done. So you guys can stand. Ministry teams, if y'all come forward.
free to go when you're ready.
Truth never fails